and endless hours in the saddle over tough terrain. This describes the life of a pack horse librarian. These brave workers spread literature and education to even the most rural corners of Kentucky during the Great Depression. Welcome back to Horses in History. I'm your host, Brandy. This episode is being recorded during yet another week of social distancing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and also at least we have some sunshine coming through to make these days a little better. Today I'm exploring one role of horses during the Great Depression. Specifically, I'm going to talk about the horses who carried the pack horse librarians. I was inspired to do this episode by a book I recently read. I'll talk more about this a little later in the episode, but I recently read The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moynes, and it sent me down a rabbit hole of learning all about the pack horse librarians, and I knew that I just had to cover them. Established in 1935, the Pack Horse Library Project was aimed at providing reading materials to rural portions of eastern Kentucky where there was not public library facilities. Librarians riding horses or mules would travel upwards of 50 to 80 miles a week through rocky creek beds, along muddy footpaths, and over cliffs to deliver reading materials to the most remote residences and schools in the mountains. Some homes were so remote that the bookwomen often had to go part of the way on foot or even by rowboat. So without further ado, let's dive into the story of the horses and the women who made up the Pack Horse Library Project. First, let's orient ourselves in history. In 1935, the world was in the middle of an economic depression, usually called the Great Depression. Unemployment was around 23%, and soup kitchen lines were longer than ever. Poor rural communities were struggling, more than usual. There was little expendable income for learning and enjoyment, meaning that books were probably not being passed around quite as much as usual and you didn't have a few extra pennies to buy a novel at the store. With the election of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1933 and his implementation of the first and second New Deals, many projects were born to jumpstart the economy. It was under the second New Deal that the Works Progress Administration, often called the WPA, began the Pack Horse Librarian Project, which had been advocated for by First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. This is going to take place in rural eastern Kentucky, a place full of coal mines and poverty and desperation. So why libraries? Because of the Great Depression and a lack of budget money, the American Library Association estimated in May 1936 that around a third of all Americans no longer had reasonable access to public library materials. People wanted to learn to read to better themselves. People wanted to be educated, but the extra funds just weren't there for large-scale community library projects. Also, with men abandoning their families out of either desperation over everything that happened during the Great Depression, or maybe they left to search for work, women were often in charge of the home and needing to be the primary breadwinner for one of the first times in history. Librarian work was work that a woman could do in a way that she could earn a wage to support her family, and that was considered in why they needed to start this Pack Horse Librarian project was that it was a way for women to support their families. Eastern rural Kentucky is a geographically isolated area. It's cut off from much of the country, and it's hard to get to. Prior to the creation of the Pack Horse Library project, many people in this rural Appalachian area did not have any access to books. The percentage of people who were illiterate in eastern Kentucky was around 31%. Remember, this is in the 1930s. That's not even a hundred years ago that there were parts of our country that had illiteracy rates 
of upwards of 31%. It's just really hard to believe that these areas were struggling that badly. People who lived in these rural and inaccessible areas did want to become more literate. They, they thought that education was going to be a way to rise them out of their circumstances. And while there were traveling libraries that had been created by different organizations, such as the Kentucky Federation of Women's Club, starting back in 1896, the lack of roads and population centers in this area really discouraged the creation of larger scale public library services in these locations, so there was nothing consistent. It just wasn't enough. And by 1933, all of these traveling libraries had been discontinued due to the Great Depression, and 63 counties had no library services at all in Kentucky in the 1930s. At its inception, the Pack Horse Library concept was not brand new. The first Pack Horse Library was actually created in Paintsville, Kentucky in 1913. It had been supported by a local coal baron named John Mayo, but when he died in 1914, the project ended up closing because it didn't have enough funding. Elizabeth Fullerton, who had worked with women's and professional projects at the WPA, decided to reuse this idea of a Pack Horse Library as a WPA project. In 1934, a Presbyterian minister who ran a community center in Leslie County offered his library to the WPA if they would fund the people to carry the books to the places where they could not easily access library materials. That started the first Pack Horse Library, which was administered by the Federal Emergency Relief Administration until the WPA took it over in 1935. By 1936, there were eight Pack Horse Libraries in operation. At a federal level, the Pack Horse Library project was headed by Ellen Woodward. The project ran between 1935 and 1943. The women who carried the books were called book women, and they were hired by the WPA and worked for around $28 a month, delivering the books to the Appalachians via horseback or on mules. This $28 a month averages out to about $495 in modern currency, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you think about the fact that these were women who didn't have any other way usually to earn a wage and probably didn't have access to work otherwise, this would have been just a lifesaver and a fortune to them. Maybe it was a supplemental income to what their husband or families were making, and maybe this was their only way of bringing money into the household, but either way, it was better than nothing, and it was helping these women hugely. Unlike many other New Deal projects, the Pack Horse Library Plan required a lot of help from the locals. So the libraries were usually housed in any facility that would step up and offer up some space. Sometimes it was churches, sometimes it was post offices, sometimes it was the barn behind someone's house. Librarians manned these outposts, giving books to carriers who then climbed aboard their mules or their horses and loaded their panniers, which were the big bags that held the books on either side of the horse, and headed into the hills. They took their job as seriously as a mail carrier and crossed streams in wintry conditions with their feet frozen in stirrups to make sure that their patrons got their books. Members of the community not only had to donate facilities, but they also had to donate books. So the Pack Horse Library Project was able to federally pay the salaries of the women, but it did not provide the books. All of those had to be donated by local communities or other libraries or schools or whatever the case may be, but those all were donated. 
Each local packhorse library had a clerk, also called a head librarian, who would handle the various library duties and four to ten book carriers who then would deliver those books to the mountain schools and homesteads. The head librarian would process donations at the headquarters, repair books, and get the items all ready to deliver. They got creative when they were organizing their little libraries using cheese crates to turn into card catalog files or license plates bent into shapes for bookends. Monthly, the librarians would meet at their central facility and have a conference where they would discuss all the goings on of the Packhorse Library. Most of the people involved in this, as I've mentioned before, were women. Also, most of the Packhorse Librarians were the only person in their family that was earning an income during this time. So they were quite literally supporting their families by doing this work. Book carriers had to provide their own horses or mules, but often these would end up being leased or donated by local farmers. Not much is known about the actual horses and mules that carried these packhorse librarians around the countryside, but you can imagine that they were probably whatever these girls could get their hands on. So maybe this was their family mule that they used to to haul things back and forth to town. Maybe it's the draft horse that normally plowed their fields but was going to get used as a librarian horse for a little while. Maybe it was a retired racehorse that no longer had use on the track. It could be a little bit of everything. And like I said, it's not There's not a lot written about the horses, it's mostly written about the women, but in my own imagination, I'm guessing that these were just whatever horses these girls could get their hands on, and whatever horse could suitably do the job. That's all they needed. They needed mounts that could get them to and from their patrons and carry some books. Some routes were so steep that in the memory of one bookwoman, Grace Lucas, she said she had to lead her horse across steep cliffs to get to some of her people. Other areas had deep water, and sometimes feet would end up frozen to the stirrups after splashing through a creek. One librarian had to hike her 18-mile route on foot because her mule died halfway there, but she completed her route regardless. Another librarian had a very old mule, but that was all she had, so she ended up walking her mule most of the route instead of riding to make sure that he could make it. Clearly, these girls cared for their animals and knew that they were the key to making sure that they could complete their routes. Over the course of a month, women would ride or walk their route at least twice, and each route usually covered 100 to 120 miles a week, totaling an average of 4,905 miles. The book packs that the librarians had on the back of their horses could hold around 100 books, so those would not exactly be light. Books were rotated between locations and were chosen based on the preferences of the library patrons. Largely, the collections would be focused on children's books. This was partially to make sure that children were learning to read and have access to reading materials, but it also had to do with the fact that a large portion of these people were illiterate, so they couldn't read an adult novel. They could hardly even read a children's novel, so that was the level of reading that was most palpable to these people. Maggie Mae Smith, who was a supervisor at the Whitley County Packhorse Library, wrote that the children would all run to meet the bookwoman, saying, please bring me a book to read. For adults, the collection would focus on current events, history, religion, biographies, for those adults who could read. The Bible was heavily requested as well, along with any other 
literature that they would call instructive. Some of the popular novels were Robinson Crusoe and books by Mark Twain. Picture books were really popular with children as well as the illiterate as they would use those as a way to teach themselves to read. Women enjoyed reading illustrated home magazines and books about health and parenting, such as the Women's Home Companion or the Ladies' Home Journal. Also really popular in these book libraries was recipe and quilting pattern books that the women would create themselves, writing down their favorites into binders that would be shared all throughout the area. They also would create scrapbooks, so this would be made from the cuttings from destroyed books or destroyed magazines, and they would just piece together as many salvageable pieces as possible into a scrapbook-style thing, which would then go out and about. There ended up being around 200 of these created and distributed, and they were actually really popular. And I just love the creativity of kind of a waste-not, want-not type of mentality. They salvaged as much as they could and just made sure there were books to go around. In 1938, actually 40 films were purchased to circulate through the different libraries, and people were able to see their first moving pictures. Books were in such high demand at this time with this Packhorse library that... One young man would walk eight miles to the closest packhorse library to get new books. Eight miles is a pretty long way to walk just for reading material, so you can see just how thankful the people in this area were for these books. In Paintsville, Kentucky, the Daughters of the American Revolution helped pay shipping expenses for donated books, and they would also solicit books by writing to editors of magazines and newspapers. PTAs would promote the Packhorse Library Project and encourage donations, and local communities would hold book drives and open houses to support the libraries. So this was a really community-wide effort to make sure that these were well-stocked and had a lot of things available for the people to enjoy. The Packhorse Library Project not only distributed the books, but the women would actually provide reading lessons as well. They would deliver news from town to those high up in the mountain, as these were often the only link to the outside world that some of these rural families would have. Librarians and bookwomen would read aloud to families. They were seen by these people to be educators, bringing new ideas into isolated areas and opening them up to new worlds. Librarians often had to deal with a community suspicion of strangers and sometimes deal with a hostility toward any outside influences. Some people were very skeptical of the books and what they were going to bring to the table and what exactly they were. Illiterate people might not always be able to see what was in the books, so they weren't sure if they wanted their children to read them because they didn't know what kind of information they were going to be spreading. So the librarians had to overcome this attitude, but they did. They actually would overcome the attitude to such a degree that one family was reported to refuse to move to a new county because it lacked a Packhorse Library service. Unfortunately, the Packhorse Library project ended in 1943 when the WPA stopped funding to the program. At this point in time, the war was pulling from the federal resources and people were needed to work in other capacities. Local communities tried to keep the libraries going all on their own, but they just couldn't provide the level of funding that the federal government had been able to. It was only in the 1950s that some of these remote communities that had previously been served by the Packhorse librarians would have eventual access to bookmobiles. There were around 30 different Packhorse libraries that served about 100,000 people 
in the mountain areas. The libraries also served around 155 schools in these counties. So while the lifespan of the Pack Horse Library project was pretty short, it had a humongous impact on these people and these rural communities. There also is a legacy in creation of further library services. In 1956, a Kentucky congressman, Carl Perkins, sponsored the Library Services Act, which gave the first federal appropriations for library services. Perkins himself had benefited from the Packhorse Library Service when he had been a teacher in the rural Knott County, and it was because of this that he was inspired to push for more library services for people around the country. That brings me mostly to the end of the story of the Packhorse Librarians. It's not a huge moment in history, it's just a short little snapshot into something, but I think it's just really fascinating and something that I know I wasn't familiar with prior to reading that novel just a few weeks ago, and I think it's just something really interesting that more people should know about, especially the fact that it all took place on horseback or muleback, I guess. So I mentioned the one book that I read, but there are several other books that have been written about the Pack Horse Library project. That Book Woman was published in 2008, and it's a children's book that introduces children to this project. Another children's book that mentions the Pack Horse Librarians is The Great Depression for Kids, published in 2015. In 2010, Kathy Applett and Janine Canella Schmeitzer published Down Cut Shin Creek, a nonfiction book that describes the travels of the bookwomen and the men who helped to deliver books throughout eastern Kentucky. There's also a book called The Bookwoman of Troublesome Creek, published in May 2019 by Kim Michelle Richardson, who is a native Kentucky author, and that's published as a historical novel. Wrapping back around to the book that I read in October 2019, Jojo Moynes, who is famous for having written books such as Me Before You, which eventually became a big motion picture, she published a book called The Giver of Stars, which is a fictionalized version of one woman's involvement in the Pack Horse Librarian Project in Kentucky. I thought it was a really, really good book. I kind of stumbled upon it while I was looking for a new audiobook to listen to while I was sewing fabric face masks for some friends and family members to protect them during this time and I ended up really enjoying the book and I could not put it down. And I love that it introduced me to this little piece of history that I was previously unaware of. So for me personally, I think this is a really interesting area of history because I am a lover of both horses and reading. I have always been a huge reader. I used to stay up until the middle of the night when I was in middle school because I would get so engrossed in a novel. Sometimes I would prop a book behind my choir folder in choir at school. I hope that my choir director is not listening and does not know this, because I would rather read than sing the Hallelujah Chorus at Christmas time. So as someone who absolutely loves to read and loves the joy that books can bring to you and how they can transport you to other places, I think it's so wonderful that something was created to give that to people who were struggling during the Great Depression, which was just such a hard time for everyone in the United States. I also really enjoy uh, the story of a strong woman, so I love the fact that this was mostly ladies who were out there taking these books around and earning a wage for their family and just having the ability to step out and do something for themselves. So overall, I just love this project. I think it's 
just such an interesting little piece of history, and I really am happy that it's not getting forgotten. So in order to get the information for this podcast, I referenced five different articles. Uh, Most notably, there's a very good one on the Smithsonian Magazine website that gives some really good information and some firsthand accounts. So I would highly suggest checking some of those out if you're looking for some more information on the Pack Horse Library Project. Also, I have a new website for the podcast. It is www.horsesinhistorypod.com. So if you go check that out, I will be posting some behind-the-scenes pictures from the episodes and just some interesting information that I can't get across to you just with my voice. So be sure to check that out. I have published a post for each different episode that I've done with pictures and information and the books that I reference. I'll give you a little link to those. So great way to get a little extra information if you find something you're really interested in. You can also find us on Instagram at Horses in History. I post some more pictures and interesting stuff on there. And I also have a Facebook page, which is Horses in History Podcast. So if you just search that on Facebook, it'll pop right up. I would love for you guys to engage there. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast so far, what you think about the subjects, and I would love to get any recommendations on good projects to do in the future and if you have any fun stories of Horses in History. I would also love it if you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you left us a little review of how you are feeling about the podcast and so that others know what it's about and if it's something they should check out or not. So with that, I will wrap up the podcast for today by saying I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy as we continue to make our way through the COVID-19 pandemic. I know these are scary times. It's not much fun to spend so much time at home, but This will end eventually, and we'll be back to our semi-normal life. I don't know if it'll ever go back to complete normal, but at least more normal than it is right now. So stay safe, stay healthy. I hope you tune back in for our next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Horses in History.